Welcome back to Fabulous. Hi, everyone. I'm Shannon Payne. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. It's a... Uh, <laughs> We're we're here with you. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It is. Weather-wise, not my favorite, but very mm-hmm. pretty to look at. If I could sit inside all day, not have to go anywhere. So like mm-hmm. a nice weekend day or like childhood think like Christmas break. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember Christmas break. Right? Wasn't that beautiful? And you just got to sit inside and like when it would be that like thick, heavy snow and it would just mm-hmm. be falling. But you didn't have to be scared because you didn't have to go on the roads. Yeah. You were just at home. Everything was fine. And it was just like beautiful and everything's just quiet and lovely. That's I love snow then. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great kind of snow. That's a great kind of snow. Have you, does your TV know how to find YouTube? Yes. So I use the TV and go to YouTube and do like whatever kind of thing I want to hear. And then you add (gasps) ambiance and someone has made a video that you can just put on with nice background sounds. And so it's like a nice living room with a crackling fire and snow falling down outside the window. (gasps) And you can just put it on and it will be there while you read a book. Well, that sounds nice. And you can do rainy ones. You can do stormy ones. Ooh. You can have one that just sounds like people muttering in a coffee shop. <gasps> just whatever you want. It's really nice. Oh, I'm going to do this now. There's not a lamp on that side of the basement. And the lights in the ceiling, I feel like they're shining in my eyes intentionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I turn on the light on the other end of the basement and then I put that on the TV so it's not completely dark right (laughs) and it's really nice that sounds delightful it's quite enjoyable Mm, that might be my new plan (laughs) and in one of them uh there was like these glass you know those pretty glass lantern things you put a candle inside yes there was one with a flame in it on the floor next to a dog and i was like whoever is responsible for the animation in this one was not thinking do they have a dog have they seen fire oh no like i was upset about it i had to pick a different one. Oh uh, yeah that would ruin it it just didn't make sense <laughs> no why would you do that why would you do that you'd never put fire by your dog don't quit your day job you're not supposed to be doing this <laughs> but your snow looked lovely oh just draw snow then <laughs> i was like seth will you like build us one of these rooms on our house mm. <laughs> he was like a a, a glass room? I was like, yeah, yeah. You could do that, right? That sounds easy. <laughs> he, he was like, no. He said no. He, shocking. I know. That's it was, wild. It was weird, actually. Mm. Totally unexpected. He just built a whole basement section. He can do it. Absolutely. Easy. Totally fine. Totally fine. Especially if I say I'll paint it, which is our deal in most situations. Would you paint the glass? No, but the the wood that goes between all the glass. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Something's got to hold the glass up. For sure. Or else, I mean, it's not. A structure. It's no. Just a stack of That's glass. That's true. A stack of glass would not be useful at all. No. <laughs> it doesn't have the same appeal. That's for sure. No, but we wanted to talk to you guys about something that felt like this time of year, but we didn't want to get like all serious about it. Mm-hmm. And so we thought about obviously Santa Claus. Yeah, that had to happen. And what's the other thing you think of right after Santa Claus? Coca-Cola. For sure. So the here two we are. are basically combined together. Yeah, they're the same thing. Yeah, joined right at the hip. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to tell you about those today. We are. So I'll start off with Santa and then we'll move on to Coca-Cola from there. Mm-hmm. Are we ready to jump in? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, so Santa's a whole situation, right? Like Santa's <laughs> a... Um, there's a lot about Santa. So I 
narrowed it down a lot. So there's not everything about Santa in here. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to start out with like a couple of like possible origin stories and then just get into some of the like, why does Santa have this or why does Santa do this kind of a thing. It'll be really fun. So we'll start out with the origin stories and, um, some weeks I just really feel like I'm playing favorites because <laughs> I super I super am. It's either like, am I waxing Greek or do I really want to go with like Vikings and their lore? So uh, this week I super went with Norse mythology. <laughs> I mean, the beard of it all really makes me lean in that direction it, anyway. It makes sense, yeah. right? It feels like it really like fits in. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about Odin because <laughs> of of course he's like Santa Claus. Of course. of course he's Santa. So we're going to talk about the celebration of Yule. So this particular pagan festival ends right around winter solstice. So December 21st-ish. Mm-hmm. And it goes for several days. Like all good parties should. They should. Again, we need to get on board with that a little bit more, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm. The celebration encompasses a lot, but certain elements really give off some strong Santa vibes we'd recognize today, at least here in the U.S., So during one night of the celebration, big man in charge Odin gathers together a ghostly parade to essentially terrorize Viking communities across the land during (laughs) Oscarea, or the Wild Hunt. Oh, no. (laughs) And this club has everything. (laughs) Odin is leading man cruising the night skies on his eight-legged horse named Slepnir. Valkyries, the badass sword-wielding women who are the dead shepherding spirits that determine who gets to go to Valhalla and who doesn't, and they're riding right behind him. There are some other Norse gods mixed in, and then just general spirits of the dead. Right, right. Yeah, like, like you do. All riding through the night to gather the souls of the dead to bring back to the other world. During the hunt, the general consensus was that it was best to just hang out inside because you really didn't want to be caught outside alone. What Mm-mm. if they thought you were a dead soul? That's a really good point. You don't know. And it's cold. It, you that's could be a little every peaked. reason to stay inside. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. It's a whole situation. So Dead as hell. Dead as hell. Don't go outside. Just don't go outside. Mm-hmm. After the hunt ended, however, the jolly heartwarming side of Odin comes out. Dressed in blue cloak, white beard flying in the wind. (laughs) Odin would travel through the night with his octopus slash horse and deliver treats and toys to the little Viking children. (laughs) No! (laughs) It's an eight-legged horse. I know, I get (laughs) He'd slip into the houses to deliver gifts to the home's hearths where boots filled with straw were left as a present for Slipnir. To eat? To eat. Oh. <laughs> I'm still looking like he's like an Ursula horse at this point. I mean, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's not wrong. <laughs> it feels right. So this might be where the uh, eight reindeer come from. Oh, from his legs. From his legs. That makes total sense. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So there, there's that. Our next one, which I think we all know, is St. Nicholas. So we're going to jump back in time to somewhere around 280 AD with the Greek Christian monk slash bishop. He is referenced as both. Okay. So he's living in Turkey, or what is now Turkey, and today he is recognized as the patron saint and protector of children and sailors. So many of the legends that surround Nicholas describe him as incredibly generous and kind and just 
giving. In one story, it's said that he saved a man's three daughters from a life of slavery. The man used to be pretty wealthy, but bad luck had come upon him and he couldn't afford to cover the dowries of his daughters. So it was just a situation where they were stuck. There was nothing he could do. He was going to die and his daughters weren't going to be okay anymore. Oh, no. So Nicholas, not wanting to be seen, snuck into their house one night and threw a bag of money into an open window. The man, grateful but not knowing who the gift came from, used the money as a dowry for his first daughter, who was soon married. And I'm going to say this. There are two versions of this. It's either he throws it in an open window or he throws it down the chimney and it lands in the stocking of the daughter. Cute. That's hanging there to dry. (laughs) So we're going to follow the same pattern for the second daughter. Nicholas throws money super secret style into the open window or down the chimney. And daughter number two gets married off with a dowry. Things change up a bit when Nicholas goes to provide money for daughter number three. He gets caught. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, so the father had stayed awake several nights after his second daughter was married to see if he could find out who this kind benefactor was, and he did. Nicholas told the father no thanks were necessary as long as he didn't disclose where the money had come from. Okay. This is one story of many. Nicholas is said to have given much, if not all, of his fairly hefty inheritance to those in need. And for a long time, it was traditional in a lot of Europe to celebrate his life on the day of his death, December 6th. And it was celebrated with feasts and gift giving to honor the gifts that he gave to so many. Oh, that's really nice. Isn't that pretty? I loved that. As Protestantism gained more traction in Europe, St. Nick's popularity began to wane across the continent, except for Holland. The Dutch continued to feast and kids would leave their shoes out to be filled with gifts by good St. Nick. In some ways good and in some ways problematic, the Dutch carried this tradition on. We'll talk about the a little bit problematic later. And St. Nick transitioned to St. Nicholas. I'm going to butcher that. N-I-K-O-L-A-A-S. It's going to come back later, too. And then as the community came to America, he transitioned to Sinterklaas. The Americans, as we do, ran with it and turned him into Santa Claus and incorporated him into Christmas celebrations on December 25th instead of the 6th. Oh, because we don't have as many paid days off in the U.S. Truly. So So we had to kind of consolidate, right? (laughs) It was kind of an issue. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) All in one. All in one. Mm -hmm, For mm -hmm. sure. For sure. So those are just two of the origin stories. There's a bunch. There's so many. Very interesting. Right? But I felt like they were interesting. And Odin, of course, comes in. Of course. Just had to. He had to. He's not famous for minding his business. That's for sure. Oh, not at all. So I feel like it. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. Okay. Next thing that I decided to cover was why the red suit? Why does he run around in a red suit? One possible reason is that St. Nicholas liked to wear red himself in so many of his portraits. He's wearing a set of red robes. Since Santa, as we know him, got a lot of inspiration from Nicholas, this definitely is a viable contender. Mm Mm-hmm. Another contender, as we'll talk about in a little bit, (laughs) Coca-Cola. Liz will give us the down low on this particular company later. But in 1931, the company put out an ad in the magazines that showed a big jolly man in a red suit. Coke has become practically synonymous with Christmas, so it would make sense that this would be the right thing, that he would they would be the ones responsible for him wearing the bright red suit. But it was actually already out in the public before this. They didn't come up with the idea. They just used it. But they can go ahead and say they did a bunch because they do that. They I super think. do do that. <laughs> I saw a lot of articles that I was like, mm, that's, um, uh-uh. <laughs> sorry, guys. No. 
The likely real beginnings for the Crimson Claws look started probably back in the 1800s, first with writer Clement Clark Moore and then really solidified by cartoonist Thomas, Thomas Nast. So, in 1820, Clement wrote an iconic poem called An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas, one I'm sure we're all familiar with, even if we don't know who wrote it or what it's called. Twas the night before Christmas. <laughs> that good one. So I'm going to read parts of it because it kind of gives a description of our good St. Nick. Mm-hmm. The moon on the breast of this new fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below, when what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys was flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler with an just opening his sack. His eyes how they twinkled, his dimples how merry, his cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe held high in his teeth, and, oh, held tight in his teeth, sorry, and the smoke, the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. <laughs> He was chubby and plump and a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. <laughs> oh, Santa. Oh, Santa. <laughs> a few decades later, in 1881, Thomas Nast transformed the suit Clement gave Santa and gave it its distinctive hue with bright red, bright white trim, and it was in a cartoon that he drew to illustrate the poem itself. Mm -hmm. So he was really trying to play off of this poem and say, this is what they're trying to describe. Yeah. This is it. Beautiful. Right? Red suit. I mean, it's so pretty. It is. I, a... It looks hot. Not it does hot, look... like sexy hot. It looks quite I'm warm. not into Santa. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Fashion Santa? What? Time out, everybody. I have to mm. Google a picture for Shani. Oh, my God. It's hot, huh? Don't you want um, all the men we know to wear red velvet suits now? I also like the red plaid pants and the red leather jacket. Yeah, it's all very nice. I'm not upset about this. That's, and like the nice like, like Santa like sex pistols. Huh. It's hot. Huh. I think he's Canadian. Look at this one with the long coat. Huh. You guys, everybody look up fashion Santa. I'm not upset about it. Okay. I could be into Santa. Santa could be hot. They're going to make dirty Christmas movies about this version oh, of Santa. Oh boy. That's a... My brain is confused right now, but it's I hope fine. Brian looks like this when he's old. I think he could. That'd be the best. Yeah. Ooh. Things to look forward to. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, look at he's being rugged in this one in jeans and spenders. Well, look at him. It's woodworking in in the toy shop, Santa. Huh. Huh. It's gonna be Brian. I can Some just cute little I can chucks, just see it probably. Now. Absolutely. It's adorable. He's cool, huh? Damn. He makes Santa look so sharp. He does, like. Santa, okay. Santa, traditional Santa, Mrs. Claus has to, like, button up his jacket for, for him. For sure. That Santa, he has it sorted out. It's all taken care of. <laughs> huh. Huh. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> We're coming back together now. So, next thing I wanted to look up, Santa's list and the dreaded lump of coal. Ooh. Right? Yeah. It's interesting. Again, there are a bunch of different representations, so I'm only going to get into a few here. Mm -hmm. 
Jumping back to our Odin story. <laughs> Did you know that when he and his ghostly crew went on their wild hunt, he brought along a pair of ravens named Huggin and Munnin? Oh, no. <laughs> That's cute. That's adorable as hell. <laughs> He's living my dream. <laughs> he gets a pair of raven friends that I'm sure bring him, like, little shiny gifts all the time. Probably. I'm... It's fine. He and they drop everything. him on like only one side because he can't see very well from for the other side with the yeah. his peripheral vision's a little limited. It on is one side. a little bit. Yeah, they know they've got him. Yeah, they're best friends. They're best friends. He's living my dream. <laughs> <sighs> well, technically, during the hunt, they give him a different kind of gift. While Odin's flying around doing his mischief, they sit on the chimneys of all the mortals in the area and observe everything. Give them the old see you when you're sleeping, know when you're awake treatment. <laughs> Creepy little birds. Creepy little birds. <laughs> <laughs> they dish out all the tea on everything good and everything bad people did. Mm. All of it. So Chatty. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> I want them. I want them. You'll I have a raven guess. tattooed on my body. I feel like I've earned this. I want to hear a raven tell me stories about the baker. (laughs) (laughs) What's that rascal up to? Oh, my God. He (laughs) ate extra bread. Mm. Didn't we all? Didn't we all? I'm a big fan of bread. Mm, Me too. On my shopping list, (laughs) it was like baguettes and then like three lines down, probably more fancy bread. (laughs) Who is in charge of me? No, No one. And it's showing. I am. When I when I have a cheat day and I allow myself to do gluten, I I'd love I'd love to um come over and have some uh, bread. Yeah. That'd be wonderful. One of the lines on the list said maybe yogurt would help. Maybe. So you can come over and have whatever we've got. Beautiful. <laughs> it's probably weird. It's fine. <laughs> I won't be upset by it. <laughs> like not even remotely. That's good. Yeah. Cuz I know I mean Definitely SpaghettiOs currently mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Kraft Mac and Cheese. Both solid options. Right. Go-tos, standbys. Mm, truly, truly, truly. And I'll let you know if yogurt helps. <laughs> I would love to know. <laughs> well, we'll see. It should. All right. So this, after we've talked about the whole like sees you when you're sleeping, knows when you're awake. These ravens are chatty little bitches. Um <laughs> This leads us into some of the maybe not so great and problematic sides of the Dutch Sinterklaas traditions. See, according to them, St. Nick had a quote-unquote helper named quote-unquote Black Pete. Oh, yeah, we've probably outgrown that tradition I think now. we have, if which is better. good. I'm hoping they just call him Pete now. In Odin Raven fashion, Pete would only come to visit you if you were bad. Instead of the great gifts that the quote-unquote good children got, Pete would give these kids a lump of coal from the fireplace or a bundle of birch twigs tied together, indicating you were so bad, not only do you get a lump of coal, you get a punishment as well. Oh, no. I know. That kind of ruins the whole Christmas vibe. Yeah. Norse mythology also gives us a terrifying specter of Krampus. (laughs) Krampus. Krampus, half goat, half demon. This guy really adds an extra level of fear if you end up on the naughty list. See, he comes to visit the night before St. Nicholas Day, so December 6th. 
And a lump of coal and a bundle of birch sticks would be awesome if that's where he stops with you. <laughs> be real, real great. But all of the scary movies that I've seen, Liz, no, eh, it no gets stopping. much worse. It, it's, it doesn't stop there. So if you believe in him, maybe just end up on the good list. I don't know how you do that. I'm sure I've ended up on the bad list a lot. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. Everybody stay on the good list, however that is done. However that is done. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. That A different podcast will have those instructions for you. That's not ours. Sorry. No. no. <laughs> I, I don't have that Sounds advice. Sounds boring as hell. Boring as hell. <laughs> that's, that's not me. <laughs> I just, I had to talk about this too. This is amazing. So, an Italian version of Santa... It's a lovely lady named La Bafana. Nuh-uh. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> She's a winter witch. <gasps> it just makes me love the holiday season just a little, a little yeah. bit more. It's so good. She rides around on a broomstick, on a broomstick and gives out gifts to the children who are good and lumps of coal to the kids who had been bad. How cute. I know. Her origin story is pretty cute, too, in a kind of a churchy way, but it's Christmas and she's a witch, so I guess it's fine. Yeah. The story goes that when the three wise men left to go give gifts of the people to Mr. Baby Jesus, Mm -hmm. she had totally planned on adding her own gifts into the mix, but she forgot to get them to the wise men because she got too busy cleaning and time just got away from her. I mean, it does. It does. It absolutely does. Happens to me all the time. Mm -hmm. She tried to catch up, but she couldn't make it. So instead, she delivered the gifts to the children of the area who had been nice. Since then, every year she rode around on her broom, giving gifts to the children that had been nice, delivering stones, onions, and garlics to the kids who had been mean. (laughs) Still kind of useful. I'm... I wouldn't than be upset about garlic, to be honest. Yeah. It's fine. And I loved rocks as a kid, so I'd probably be okay with it. I would take a garlic uh, advent calendar. Mm, that'd be pretty cool, Doesn't actually. Doesn't that sound nice? Yeah. A bunch of aiolis, perhaps? <sighs> <laughs> that sounds like a fun thing. I'm hungry as hell. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. I'm not going to lie. I read that, too, and I was like, eh, could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> could be Krampus. He's scary. Yeah. I don't like him. Letters to Santa. Oh, my goodness. I know. <sighs> I'm not ready. I'm ready. You're Let's ready. Do it. It's going to be great. As this is, I'm already just. <laughs> as far as the U.S. of A. goes, before the inception of the nation's postal service in 1775, kids across the country still wrote letters to Mr. Claus. They just got a little more creative in how they sent them. Once everyone had their letters written. The kids would burn their letters in hopes that the ashes of the letter would ride on the wind and carry their wishes to Santa. That's really sweet. Isn't that cute as hell? I like that I a wanna lot. I want to do that. I think that's awesome. Should we write some Santa letters? I think we should. World peace. Yeah. Take it to Santa. <laughs> things changed up a bit once the Postal Service came into play, and then things really exploded in 1871 when our friend Thomas Nast... Mm-hmm. Drew another Christmas cartoon with Santa sorting letters into naughty and nice piles. Oh. Then in 1879, Thomas drew yet another cartoon, this time illustrating a child dropping a letter into the mail addressed to Santa Claus with the address of the North Pole. <laughs> he invented the North Pole? He might have. Been, I don't know if he invented the North Pole or if that was a thing, but I think he really, oh. like, conceptualized the whole, like, 
I'm going to write a letter to Santa and I'm going to address it to the North Pole and I'm going to stick it in the mail. That's so cute. Right? I think it's adorable. (laughs) Kids were doing this a little bit kind of before, but after this cartoon, thousands of letters started showing up. (laughs) It was big. So this week, some homework's getting turned in early. (laughs) Let's get into where some of the letters to Santa go and the people that take time to respond. Look at us. You're answering a question we asked. (laughs) I know. This is wild. The tie-in. Let's talk about the dead letter office. Yeah. (laughs) Lizzie Maggie's stomping grounds before she created the landlord's game. Those thousands of letters that I was talking about... The USPS was definitely not ready to handle that influx of letters that were sent to a place that technically didn't exist. <laughs> it's not it's not there, but don't tell the kids. Mm-mm. Enter the dead letter office because this is exactly the kind of situation that they were supposed to handle. Mm-hmm. Established in the 19th century and then continuing into the 20th century, a few DLO locations were set up across the country, staffed almost entirely by women who tried to return all the letters and packages that they could and then burn the rest. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not really what I was going for. <laughs> no, no writing back as Santa because it was super illegal for them to open up any of the letters. Oh. Yeah. The law. The law of it all. I see. <laughs> yeah, we should have bit. appointed a Santa mm-hmm. who could legally open the letters. We're going to get there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> they fix it. In 1907, things changed up a little bit, and Postmaster General George Von L. Meyer said the DLO could send letters addressed to the North Pole to charitable organizations across the country so they could open them and answer them. But two years later, even that process stopped because there were accusations of, quote, ill-gotten gains. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. In 1912, things changed again, and the USPS Postmaster General of this time, Frank Hitchcock, started up the program Operation Santa. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cute. As long as postage had been paid, charitable organizations were allowed to respond to the letters, and that was that. Operation Santa led to the development of an organization called Santa Claus Association in New York, a group of volunteers that answered Santa letters and delivered gifts to children. That is so cute. I know. (laughs) That's adorable. And everything was going great until 1928, when the organization's founder, John Gluck, had taken hundreds of thousands of dollars that the group had raised and kept it for himself. Uh, (sighs) Yeah. Operation Santa is still going, and they have done more over the decades to ensure that everything runs on the up and up, and assholes like John Gluck can't do shitty things like that. That's Naughty List forever, Naughty List for sure. He's on it. He's on it forever. Mm -hmm. As of 2017, here are some interesting Santa letter facts according to the Smithsonian. Ooh. There are approximately 15 regional Operation Santa locations where Santa letters are sent to. They are manned with volunteers who try to write back to every letter they get. That's so sweet. I know. I love that. It's so beautiful. (laughs) Approximately 500,000 Santa letters end up at the New York Post Office every year. Oh, there's too many people in that city. There's a lot. Not like in a, the way that like like people are to blame, just in a way that that's too many. That's just a lot of people. <laughs> that's a lot of people. <laughs> and I'm assuming that's just the children. 
Yeah. For like the majority of it, maybe not all of them, but like. I would say, yeah, but it's got to be. 500,000 children. That's a lot. That's a lot of kids. So many. If you want other options to send letters to Santa, (laughs) Santa Claus, Indiana. No way. (laughs) It's a legitimate place, and there are 200 employees that act as elves and respond back to all the Santa letters sent to the Santa Claus Museum that they have there. Is there a Hallmark movie about this? There has to be. Right? If it hasn't happened, Hallmark, I've got a pitch for you. Someone wrote a letter because they want a new mom. (gasps) Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's all coming together now. Yep. We'll, we'll have a title <laughs> at some point. Don't worry, Hallmark. I've got this. Absolutely. <laughs> it probably came to me so quickly because I've already seen the movie. Yeah. And I just don't it's remember. It's definitely there. <laughs> Candace Cameron, however you say her yeah. other last name, uh-huh. as mean lady who doesn't like gay people in a Christmas movie. Yep. <laughs> that was a lot of opinions to share, wasn't it? It's <laughs> It's not wrong. <laughs> I don't think that DJ would be impressed with that sort of behavior. I don't I don't think so either, but mm. what do I know? What do I know? North Pole, Alaska. So it they made it a place afterwards. Mm-hmm. That's very cool of them. Mm-hmm. I love it. If you drive just a little south of Fairbanks, you'll come across a little city where it's Christmas every day of the year. They are home to the world's largest fiberglass Santa statue. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) And North Pole is especially known for a community program that they have where volunteers respond to the hundreds of thousands of letters addressed to Santa at 1 Santa Claus Lane, North Pole, Alaska, 99705, in case you want to write to them. Now you've got the address. Now you have the address. (laughs) It's a delightful little place. You'll have to ask because I was, I remember talking about this and Katie's mentioned it and Darren's mentioned it. I think Katie's mom wrote letters, like wrote back letters to kids who had written to Santa. Really? I think so. So we'll have to ask her about it. I want to make sure that I'm right about this, but I'm pretty sure that this happened. That is very cool. Isn't that cute? Yeah. I want that job so much. I so job. Our, our friend Lizzie might not have written letters as santa claus but she was part of an organization who helped it happen that's great which i think is amazing she was a cool girl she was a really cool girl santa's a cool dude it's true it's true (laughs) i'm gonna finish it all off with mall santas okay (laughs) and this just makes my heart glow it's a really it's a really really nice story so for you and me and for many of people in our generation like Going to the mall and seeing Santa is a staple, right? Like, we, yeah. we did that when we were kids. It was mm-hmm. just part of it. You just went. Because what could have been more exciting than seeing Santa in the flesh right there? Nothing. 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 It was much more efficient than sending mail. That's true. <laughs> you could just give him your your whole list right there mm-hmm. without having to get out a pen or paper. But when Santa did start hitting the commercial venue, so when did he? When did it happen? It all started in the little town of Brockton, Massachusetts in 1890. That's a long time ago. That was a long time ago. (sighs) A man named James Edgar, or Colonel Jim, as he was called by his friend, (laughs) owned a store in the area. You guys all have to call me Colonel now. Colonel. Colonel Liz. (laughs) I'm doing it. Add that to the list. I'll add a bunch of salutations at the end of every text I send, and I'll address it to Colonel Lizzie. 
I'm going to, I need to take a second and decide what my rank is. Mm. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent committed to Colonel. Totally fair. I'll let you know when I'm excited. (laughs) So Colonel Jim owned a store in the area and one year the idea hit him. He knew what he needed to do. So he rode into Boston and had a red Santa suit made up just for him, tailored and everything. Oh, wow. A few weeks before the big day, he put his plan into action and came into the store dressed up as a real-life Santa Claus. And the kids were absolutely thrilled. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, that wasn't stoked. a thing. No. The, he, you don't just do that. Santa that hadn't just showed up anywhere. I wonder if their parents were like, wait a second. Is, is he real? Is that Santa Claus? Oh, my, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know if it's real Santa anymore. Santa Claus looks a lot like Jim. <laughs> 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 I hope that happens. Just the whole thought swirl in their brains. What? what? Oh, now I get it. <laughs> a little bit of a moment of panic. <laughs> Why have I been buying presents all these years? <laughs> Could have just been delivering them. <laughs> the kids came from all over the area. They were coming from Boston. They were coming from Providence. And some kids even came from New York. And this guy's like, I have another job, though, you guys. But he was so <laughs> delighted by it. Oh, it's so he cool. He loved all of it. One kid reminisced later in his life about the whole experience, and this is what he had to say. My parents had taken me over to the store on Main Street. I remember walking down an aisle, and all of a sudden, right in front of me, I saw Santa Claus. I couldn't believe my eyes. And then Santa came up and started talking to me. It was a dream come true. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. How magical. Right? James Edgar's legacy lived on even after his death. The 1920s were hard, and the city of Brockton was no exception. A truant officer in the area noticed something incredibly difficult happening everywhere in his city. So many children were unable to come to school, in wintertime especially, because their families couldn't afford to buy shoes or even repair shoes that were worn down to an unusable state. Life was not easy. The officer, taking a turn for the good, went to the new Edgar's department store president with a proposition. Help by doing what James would have done. So the the president, named William, closed down the store in the top floor and hired just a bunch of shoe cobblers and bought a brand new $3,000 machine to repair shoes. Oh, my goodness. By the spring of that next year, over 5,000 pairs of shoes had been repaired. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. In Santa's workshop. In Santa's workshop. Wow. Right? Their little shoes. I, for their cold feet. For their feet. cold feet. So they could go to school. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. It's beautiful. Before he died... James talked about his good friend Santa. He says, I have never been able to understand why the great gentleman lives at the North Pole. He is so far away, only able to see the children one day a year. He should live closer to them. And Colonel Jim made it so that Santa could. Oh, Jim. That's really sweet. Wasn't that sweet? I love it a lot. I do too. (laughs) It was... I'm I'm glad I found that one. I, I stumbled upon it and I was like, oh, it's going to be like the inception of it is going to be just 
money, money, money. How do we get more money? And it's not. It was just how do I make the lives of the children around me this much happier? That's magical. I loved it. Oh, Santa. So there's so much more to Santa, obviously. And we could have, there's so many different versions of Santa. There's just so many lovely things that we could have talked about. But I wanted, I wanted it to be brief. So maybe next year we'll talk a little bit more about him. That sounds good. Yeah. (sighs) Oh, well, everybody, in the words of one of the coolest girls I ever met on a group date, (gasps) let's all take a quick T.O. for Frosty Bev. And when you come back, we'll talk about Coke. Would you like to talk about one of the the most iconic brands in ever? Uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like Coke? Um, For those of you who... um, can't see. <laughs> I am currently drinking a bottle of Coca-Cola Zero Sugar <laughs> for my frosty beverage pleasure. I saw a TikTok today Ooh. of a guy who's um, traveling in Japan and he went to the corner. I don't know what, where they are in Japan. A, a quickie mart uh-huh. and wanted to get a Coke. It usually gets Coke Zero, but he saw a thing that was Coke Plus. Oh, So we bought it. And uh, then when they were going to go out and see some sites, he realizes that the site he was going to see was actually the bathroom. Oh, no. Because there are laxatives in Coke Plus. Oh, no. Which made me think, here's a new thing I'm going to add to all of our travel itineraries. Thank you. The word for laxative in the language of the place we're going to. That's important. We should be able to recognize that one, I feel like. Yeah. That's important. I just, that's a surprising thing to include in, cl- in right? Coke. Um, when I think of that situation and the things that surround it, my first inclination is not to go grab a can of Coke. Uh, maybe, it, maybe it should be. Maybe. Maybe it's an effective delivery system. I could be doing it all wrong. <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps. Save Cokes only. Let's get in. Yes. Here we go. <clears throat> Dr. John Pemberton, who in documentaries sounds like Pepperton, which makes you think it's Dr. Pepper. <sighs> That's a whole confusing situation. It is, but it's Pemberton. Okay. Just fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. He was a veteran of the Confederate Army who'd served in the Civil War. Okay. In 1865, Dr. Pemberton, or Doc, as he is known throughout Columbus, Georgia, oh. suffered a saber wound in the Battle of Columbus. And when he returned home after the war, he was afflicted with what they called army disease. Okay. Which is a euphemism for a morphine addiction. Makes sense. Okay. The most frustrating part of all of this is that he didn't have to get injured in the Civil War because they had already surrendered. And Lincoln had already been assassinated, but they just didn't know yet. Oh, my God. So defending some bridge, he got stabbed with a saber and probably would have died. But he was wearing like a money belt under his uniform that stopped the saber from going in. Very interesting. Wow. So, so needless. (laughs) Absolutely. What a horrible tragedy of a whole thing. Uh Um. So now that he's home, like a bunch of other soldiers, he was in a great deal of pain from his injury. They gave him morphine, and now he's dealing with an addiction, and it is complicating his life in a big way. He's a pharmacist, so he devoted a great deal of his life to making an elixir that would make him money, first, because that's good. Yeah. And also free him from his addiction and his pain. Okay. So he doesn't want this to be his life. He's trying to find a way out of it yeah 
um, a morphine-free pain reliever is what he's looking for. And in his search, he tries a bunch of different concoctions that have some silly names. He ends up looking into coca leaves. Uh-huh. <laughs> coca is a plant native to Western South America, known for its psychoactive alkaloid cocaine, or as Schmidt says it, cocaine. Cocaine. Um, and uh, a valuable and sacred commodity um, for a lot of ancient and modern civilizations. Yes. Um, evidence of the chewing of coca leaves goes back at least to the 6th century A.D., Wow. To put that into perspective, the ancient Incan Empire flourished in the 15th and 16th centuries. So coca is old. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that bananas? It is. It is old. In the 16th century, coca was introduced in Europe, which led to the invention of coca wine and the production of pure cocaine. We should probably not say it that way. Cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> cocaine was believed to have many health benefits. Ancient peoples used coca to combat fatigue, hunger, thirst, the dreaded altitude sickness. That's a big situation. It's a bitch. Malaria, ulcers, asthma, and indigestion. They used it as an anesthetic and pain reliever. Coca constricts blood vessels, so it was also used to stop bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, there are modern studies that support a lot of these claims. Oh. Additionally, coca is rich in calcium, potassium, phosphorus, vitamins B1, B2, C, E, protein, and fiber. So really, it's just the new multivitamin. Yeah, it's good for you. Beautiful. And I didn't write about it in here, but I did um, read a couple of things about how um, researchers have studied whether or not chewing coca leaves has the same addictive or detrimental effects as using cocaine okay and it's very different okay so it doesn't people don't become addicted to it and they don't and experience the same like psychoactive situations so it's much healthier way to consume the plant wow so because there are still populations who chew coca leaves or drink coca tea every day Mm -hmm. what they're imbibing is something quite different from the things that um, people are illegally selling all over the place as drugs that could cause harm to other people. Yeah. Very interesting. It is. But the bad stuff about cocaine was, at this time, none of our business. Truly. So, in 1866, Doct created a patented medicine using coca extract called French wine coca. Oh, that sounds fancy. It had a very pretty label. Yeah. It was an alcoholic beverage made from a mix of Bordeaux wine and coca ethylene which is a drug made by mixing cocaine and alcohol okay based on the coca wine made by parisian chemist angelo mariani that was extremely popular so so they were using coca wine and he was like i'll add some boost to that yeah that should get me to the same place as morphine fingers crossed hopefully um the bitter tasting medicine was priced at $1 a bottle and sold as a, penis, a panacea, a cure-all, a miracle drug. In particular, quote, a most wonderful invigorator of the sexual organs. Oh, nice. <laughs> okay. Did you know caffeine was doing that? Because I guess it is. I, um, <laughs> I did not know. I mean, you're awake now, so I guess, so that's, I guess that's part of it. Halfway there. Yep. <laughs> This section is entitled, Prohibition Ruins the Party Again. 
prohibition, damn you. Um, temperance and all that. God. 1886 brings temperance legislation to Doc's neck of the woods, so he created a non-alcoholic version of his French wine coca. Now that we're in now that we're in Atlanta, Doc relies on the drugstore down the road to test his variations at the soda fountain. Oh. So he'd bring like a thing of the concentrated syrup to mm-hmm. the soda fountain and they'd try it out on their customers to see if they liked it. Wow. Okay. Very cool. Huh? Interesting. <laughs> Once he had the syrup right, he blended it with carbonated water. And honestly, we've never looked back. No. Because what's better than selling medicine for $1 a bottle? Selling tons of soft drinks at five cents each. Yeah, easy. Add a ton of sugar to counteract its bitterness, remove the alcohol to make it family friendly, and leave in the cocaine. That should be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Cocaine is pretty cool. Uh Uh Mm -mm. Coke would like us to know that cocaine was never an ingredient in Coca-Cola, which is true. But extract of coca leaves was and is. (laughs) These days, the extract is decocainified. Okay. But that's... That's a whole different. That's skipping ahead. Perfect. So Coca-Cola gets its snappy alliterative name now that we've got the formula down uh-huh. from the accountant. <gasps> <Ooh>. <laughs> Dr. Pemberton's accountant, Frank Robinson, took coca from the coca leaves and cola from the cola nuts, which is where the caffeine comes from. OK. And squished them together. Frank also drew the original and still used today Coca-Cola script logo. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Creating a truly iconic brand. Wow. What a cool dude, huh? That's awesome. <laughs> On the original labels and signs, he wrote it. He's got fancy, <laughs> very fancy writing. It's classy. That is. <laughs> huh. Doc called it a valuable brain tonic. Which is the same way I feel about caffeine, Mm -hmm. honestly. A very valuable brain tonic. (laughs) That would cure headaches, relieve exhaustion, and calm nerves while being delicious, refreshing, pure joy, exhilarating, and invigorating. And he does sound a little bit like an addict there. A little bit, yeah. I hear it. Mm -hmm. Um, But also like a salesman. For sure. So, and it was probably really great shit. I'm sure it was. So that's where we're at with (laughs) Coca-Cola. Doc Pepperton, uh, sorry, it's not Pepper. I just want it to be. (laughs) I keep, I get it. I feel it. Doc Pemberton never really saw Coca-Cola explode into popularity. For the first year, they sold about nine glasses a day. Doc was still really sick and he started selling rights and interests to his company to pay for his medical expenses, um, including the very expensive uh, addiction he had still to morphine, which was costing him a, a ton of money. And he was never able to be free of it. Oh. In 1888, the whole kit and caboodle was sold, the last portion going to Asa Candler for $300. Doc died that same year. So now the company belongs to Asa. Okay. Asa Candler used to get these really awful headaches. Someone suggested that he try Coca-Cola, which he thought was a racket. But it worked. Mm. His headache went away and headache people know that that is a miracle straight from fairy godmother Whitney Houston. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when the glorious concoction went up for sale, of course, he put his money down. He started the Coca-Cola company in 1892 and trademarked the brand, which was a very smart move, which he was clear headed enough to do because his headache was gone. Probably that helps. Yeah. 
Asa slapped that gorgeous logo on literally everything. <laughs> he spent over $100,000 on advertising in the first year. Oh, I feel Asa, that. Yeah. He was bananas for merch. Okay. Like He was like, merchandising will be the way. Yes. Um, which is why, or one of the reasons why Coca-Cola stuff is so collectible today. That makes sense. Because they were calendars and posters and matchbooks and playing cards. And he even painted the barrels that the syrup would be shipped in bright red. Oh, wow. To be like, this is Coke in here. Wow. Yeah. He was, he was the Don Draper of then. Truly. It was cool. What a genius. <laughs> yeah. And everybody was like, are you sure this is very expensive? And he's like, just watch. He wasn't wrong. It totally worked. His big effective move coupons for a free drink Hmm. he knew that if he could get someone to try it just once they'd be customers for life probably for cocaine reasons probably in 1903 cocaine gets a bad rap yeah yeah the new york tribune published an article linking cocaine and crimes across the nation ruining the party for everyone truly the fda said you got to get this strain of cocaine out of all of your stuff or you can't sell it here anymore uh, and the company felt that keeping coca in the product was essential because of the name. Right. You can't really go back on that. So they had to find a way to get the coca out extract sans cocaine, mm. which took a little bit of work. I feel like that would be difficult. Mm-hmm. And to this day, Coca-Cola is the only company legally importing full coca leaves into the United States. Oh, wow. For this purpose. I didn't even think about that. It's crazy. It goes to a single place where they take the cocaine out and make it coca extract for Coca-Cola. And then transport it over. Wow. Mm -hmm. When the company first started doing it a long, long time ago, they would take the cocaine out and then they would sell it to medicine companies. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they do with it currently. I'm assuming sell it, though. Probably. Coca-Cola is good at money. 100%. They know what they're doing. Uh, I was reading through a list of all of the other drink companies they bought. Mm -hmm. It's all of them. They're all (laughs) Coca-Cola. There's like one big company in China that they tried to buy. And China was like, actually, then you'll have all of them. So we can't do that. Yeah. And then it also said at the end, also nationalism might have been the cause, but it didn't say whose. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So most of the good shit's out now, but the caffeine is still present. And that's Mm -hmm. what we need to know. Yes. Later on, the caffeine will be reduced by 50%. Okay. And I forgot to write down what year that was, because, probably because it was very sad. That's just a depressing day that I don't <sighs> need to remember. Our FDA cares about the weirdest things. Mm-hmm. We're all going to die from the stuff we can have, but we're going to be sad about it because they took away the <laughs> stuff that makes us happy. <laughs> right. Thanks. Great. I don't really know what their, their uh, motto is. It but, might be that. But I think it's ruin all of the things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And make everyone very tired. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Probably it. That's it. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? (laughs) Truly. Joseph Whitehead and Benjamin Thomas were lawyers from Tennessee. They came over from Chattanooga looking to score exclusive rights to bottle Coca-Cola, which is a very smart idea. True. But up to this point, Coca-Cola has never been bottled. Oh. They were just selling the syrup, which had to be mixed with the soda water to make 
a drink. So could you only go to like soda shops to get it? You can just go buy it. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Uh, here's another mood from the past that feels odd in the future, because I wouldn't have thought of this. <laughs> at the time, bottling was at best tacky and rustic and at worst dangerous and hinky. Oh, bottles weren't properly sanitized or couldn't stay sanitary because of the way they were sealing them with like corks or oh. like rubber stoppers and wire. Yeah, they couldn't keep it all clean. I never would have thought of that. And so people would get sick. Huh. Um, they weren't properly sanitized. So the product would go bad. Consumers would get sick. And um, Coca-Cola was just not going to associate themselves with that. that makes so sense. he's like, we'll never get involved. This is primitive, essentially. Um, and gross. Mm-hmm. So Asa sold the contract to Joe and Ben for one dollar. Huh. A lot of Coke stuff has sold cheaply. I'm going to be honest. That's wild. Yeah. It's not a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus fact. Coca-Cola company still mostly sells syrup concentrate to bottlers who've purchased bottling rights. Okay. The only, um, they have a subsidiary in the, in North America, Coca-Cola refreshments, just Mm -hmm. like their bottling company here. Okay. But for the most part, they sell to other bottling companies that own that purchase the ability to be the only people bottling coke Mm. and then coca-cola in the past has encouraged these bottling companies to like congeal with each other yeah and then coke will own a portion of their company they'll like buy into that so it's very interesting they're not taking on like the responsibility of owning a bottling operation all over the world but they're taking on some of the some of the benefits. profit sharing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit of controlling interest. Huh. It's very interesting how they do huh. it. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, what they sell in as drinks is this the concentrate, the syrup and bottling companies add the CO2, wow. like the carbonated water and then sometimes sweetener as well. OK. Wow. Very interesting. huh? Yeah. Super cool. Joe and Ben set up a national... Those are the lawyers from before. Oh, okay. Joe and Ben set up a national network of bottling plants before they had solved the problem with bottling soda. No! <laughs> but luckily, the stars were aligning because in 1892, William Painter invented the crown cork, better known by us regulars as the bottle cap. Uh-huh. So it changed the design of bottles as well. So now bottles have like this universal sized neck and top. Okay. And then the bottle cap at that time, um, the inside piece that touches the bottle was cork. Oh, okay. Super duper thin cork. That's now that PVC plastic stuff. Yeah. And that's what seals it. Okay. So the liquid and the CO2 don't come out. Makes perfect sense. And then um, it crimps over the... The beveled edge mm-hmm. of the bottle to stay on. Yeah. So it seals it so it can't get out. Everything stays clean, but it's also very easy to open with a bottle opener. Yeah. It's brilliant. Genius. So um, the same design that he invented then is the one that we use today. Except for the original one had like 24 flutes. Uh-huh. You know, the, the, the creepy little, edge. Yeah. Now it's only 21. Oh. The inside, like I was saying, isn't cork anymore. It's PVC. Mm-hmm. And the the skirting is a little shorter now. Okay. But it's essentially the same invention, the same thing that's keeping all of our beer delicious and our soda good. It's all. Wow. It's all that cool little cap. Damn, Coca-Cola. Right. And bottle caps are super collectible. Yeah. And 
another cool thing that happened because of this, everybody's like, you're a genius. We're all, we're trying to do the opposite thing in innovation now, but they're like, you made a thing that you can use once and then you have to throw away. So mm-hmm. people have to keep buying it over and over again. You're a brilliant genius. As far as money goes, that's absolutely. He shared it with his friend whose last name was Gillette. Oh, uh-huh, okay. Who later came up with a disposable razor blade. Makes perfect sense. Right. And everybody's like, I'm making money forever. Yes. And now we're like, this is a lot of garbage, you guys. We're killing the planet. We Please need to stop. figure this out. Yep. <laughs> but battle caps are really cool. They are. They can be reused, mm-hmm. but it's a little difficult. Yeah. A little tricky. Takes and the a little weirder, effort. the weirder bent to it, out of shape they get, the harder it is. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe twist twist offs would be easier to use again. Maybe. I'm not sure. So Joe and Ben set up a national network. We deal with this. Now we have the cork. Now the bottles would stay sanitary and sealed and it was game on. So now the bottling companies are going to make so much Coke. Yes. It's just Coke everywhere forever. This is a cool story to watch unfold because I feel like I'm watching like the evolution of brand management Mm -hmm. step by step through the history of this company. It's very cool. So Bottle Coke is super successful and success, as we know, breeds the copycats. Truly. Um, Without an official bottle, it was easy for other soda companies to print a similar logo logo on a bottle. And they were like... um, Really similar names like Cola Coca or Oh my God. Coca Coda. <laughs> like, oh my god. Like they tried to make and they just tried to make their logo look very similar so that because at this time a lot of when you go to buy a bottle of soda, it's in remember that giant R two D two with ice where you'd reach in and buy it, get a soda and mm-hmm. then pay for it at the yep. store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're basically troughs of ice water with drinks and so you'd reach in and basically by feel be like that's a coke yeah and if it comes up brown you it's a coke right absolutely and so people were selling a lot of their product off of coca-cola's name wow and it's ruining things for coke and for the bottling companies makes sense like it's really cutting into their profits so uh the solution First of all, they they came up with like a, a sticker label mm-hmm. with the trademark on it really big so everybody would know. Yeah. But the labels fell off in the water or rubbed off. Yeah. And people copied the labels. Oh. So we're in a pickle. The new solution is we need a bottle. We need our own unique Coca-Cola bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bottlers d- weren't excited to pay for this. Makes sense. But they wanted the protection that it would provide. Mm-hmm. So they all get together on it eventually. Um, the brief on the design given to the teams, like the people who wanted to aud- audition the designs, <laughs> uh-huh. you know what I mean? Submit, yeah. submit. Yes. <laughs> that, that word, that one. Uh, they said the bottle had to be so distinct that you would recognize it by feel in the dark or lying broken on the ground, which I think is true. Like they did it. Are we? That just made me think of a song, Lion. Oh, nope. You lie naked Lying on the floor. Bro- naked on the floor. Uh-huh. Yep. Like a Coke bottle. Like a Coke bottle. As they say. This brings us to the Root Glass Company in, mm-hmm. I think you say this, Terre Haute. Okay. Indiana. Uh, uh, I'm excited about these guys. They seem cool. Yay. They went to the library to research ideas and came back with an illustration of a coca bean. Like oh. for chocolate. Earl Dean sketched the shape of the fluted bottle wide in the middle and tapered at the top and bottom on paper 
and they made a few sample bottles. The design was patented on November 16th, 1915, and that's where the date incorporated into the final design comes from. There's like a date stuck on it. The bottlers came together to vote on the design submissions in 1916, and the Root Glass Company's design was the clear winner. The bottles were colored with German green, later called Georgia green, in honor of the home state of the brilliant beverage. Huh. (laughs) So cocoa beans are for chocolate, Mm -hmm. not the coca as in the leaves for Coca-Cola. Okay. And that's a oopsies. Yeah, (laughs) but it's not quite the same, but. It's still a really pretty bottle. Yeah. And I saw one ad, like a, a commercial that was saying it was modeled after the hobble skirt. Okay. Which is the skirt that gets tight again around your ankles. Yeah. It does kind of look like that. So maybe that's what they went with in the commercial. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) This is from an article that I read that's um, referenced in the notes. In 1923, the patent for the bottle was renewed. It was the custom of the patent office to issue the patent on the Tuesday of each week. For the 1923 patent, that Tuesday just happened to fall on December 25th. Oh, my God. (laughs) As the new patent was issued, the date on the side of the bottle was changed to December 25th, 1923, and the bottle was quickly nicknamed the Christmas bottle. Of course. (laughs) Patents expire after 14 years. The bottle patent was renewed again in 1937. By 1951, all patents on the shape had expired. The company approached the patent office that the bottle shape, distinctive shaped contour, was so well known that it should be granted trademark status. Oh. Which, as we know, is is very difficult. It's a tough process. And trademark status for the shape of your thing, that is complicated. Yes. It's a big ask. Mm -hmm. So... Um, while it was highly unusual for a commercial package to be granted that status, on April 12th, 1961, the Coca-Cola bottle was recognized as a trademark. Oh, my God. In part bolstered by the fact that a 1949 study showed that less than 1% of Americans could not identify the bottle of Coke by shape alone. Wow. That's bananas. Wow. <laughs> oh, my wow. God. Um. One guy in a in a YouTube video I was watching, so I think it was a documentary, mm-hmm. um, he said he could teach a whole, like, American history class through Coca-Cola ads alone because they're so consistent and so iconic that mm-hmm. he could show, like, the evolution of our country's history through the ads. That's bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> That's bonkers. They're just, they're there everywhere. They're there. Wow. Now we come to the section entitled A Coca-Cola Christmas. <laughs> In 1931, Haddon Sundblom was commissioned by Coca-Cola to paint Santa for an advertisement. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and this is funny because uh, the original red-coated Santa mm-hmm. got his inspiration from the same place that um, Haddon did. So that makes sense. He drew his inspiration from the poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, or Twas the Night Before Christmas, and his friend, Lou Prentice, <laughs> who was a retired salesman. I love it. 
After Lou passed away, Haddon used himself as a model looking in a mirror while he painted. So one year, Santa's belt was backwards. <laughs> Oops. Probably because of the mirror you method. Yep. A different year, there was a whole bunch of drama and gossip because Santa's wedding ring was missing. Oh, no. And everybody wanted to know what was going on with Mrs. Claus. <laughs> They're just taking a bit of a break. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. The children in the paintings are based on Haddon's neighbors, um, two little girls. He changed Aww. one into a boy for gender conforming reasons. Mm. Um, and the dog in his 1964 depiction of Santa Claus was the gray poodle of his neighborhood florist. <laughs> um, though many attribute Santa's red coat to the branding of Coca-Cola, Jolly Old St. Nick had been depicted in the cherry color before. Yeah. So he doesn't own red, but he it doesn't. is Coca-Cola red. So it's a... It's meant to be. Yeah. Match made in some place. Yeah. In the in North, North Pole. Pole. Yeah. <laughs> um, break in Santa facts uh, for war business. When World War II begins to rage, sugar is rationed in the U.S. So Coca-Cola needed to become an essential wartime product. <laughs> The chairman oh of Coca-Cola said they would give bottles of Coke to the troops at five cents a bottle, quote, no matter what it costs the company. The scheme lost money, of course, but it was definitely a lose some to win some situation. Mm -hmm. Coca-Cola sugar was made exempt from the sugar rationing and the brand became associated with the war in a brilliantly profitable way. When they asked the troops what they needed to buoy their spirits and get them through the war, they asked for cigarettes, candy, and Coca-Cola. Wow. <laughs> General Eisenhower sent a letter to the company asking for mobile bottling plants. So Coke goes international with bottling plants in Italy, Germany, the South Pacific, and Southeast Asia. Oh, my God. It's so cool. And then when the war finally ends, there's these mobile bottling plants about ready to become permanent. Yeah. So Coke starts making deals and signing contracts with people to run these bottling operations overseas. And even some veteran GIs who stayed in Europe um, become the people who run these bottling That's plants. That's genius. It's very cool. <laughs> now we return to a very Coke Christmas. In 1942, this is crazy to me, Sprite Boy, what? who was a Sprite elf person, was added to the Christmas ads with Santa. And get this, Coke didn't introduce Sprite, the beverage, until the 1960s. So Sprite Boy actually came first. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. In 2001, Academy Award, anim Academy Award winning animator Alexandra Petrov used Haddon's paintings to create an animated commercial for Coca-Cola using the Coca-Cola Santa. Oh, Isn't that cool? Um, in case you're wondering about the Coca-Cola Christmas truck. Yeah. Which is the, the semi that drives about all lit up with Santa on the side of it. Yes. Um, it is going on tour this season. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And Coke says to watch their socials to see okay. where and when. Hopefully they're better than Barbie. <laughs> As I was looking it up to see if anybody had announced maps or anything, mm -hmm. it looks like this Coca-Cola lorry is super pops in the UK. Okay. They're very interested in That's it. That's fair. Which is a smaller place to drive around, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I get it. So Christmas, that truck. Huh. <sighs> mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that's associated with Coke and Christmas, as we know, 
polar bears. Truly. And by that, I don't mean Seth Taylor. I mean the actual <laughs> Arctic animals, polar bears. The first Coca-Cola ad featuring polar bears was in 1922 in no. France. So it was a long time ago. Wow. In 1930, and sorry, 1993. That's recent. <laughs> during the Always Coca-Cola campaign. Always Coca-Cola, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they premiered a commercial called Northern Lights. <gasps> Which was the first time they had little animated polar bears. Oh my God. Uh, And I'm sure in your mind, can you imagine it? Mm -hmm. And can you hear the clink of the glasses? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's very, if you were alive in 1993, it's on your brain. And I'm probably old because I just said that 1993 was super recent. So (laughs) that's a fun time for me. A little Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. On October 15th of 2011, Coca-Cola announced their partnership with the World Wildlife Wildlife Fund, which Aww. I always want to call Federation for wrestling reasons. For sure. Um, to raise money to protect the Arctic habitat of polar bears. Oh. Coke pledged $2 million and told all of us that we could text to donate $1 and Coke would match our donations up to a million. Wow. Yeah. Um, Carter Roberts, the president of CEO of president and CEO of the World Wildlife Fund said, um, polar bears inspire the imagination. They're massive, powerful, beautiful, and they live nowhere except the Arctic. Their lives are intimately bound up with sea ice, which is now melting at an alarming rate. So if you have a chance, look up Arctic Home. Uh, Let's let's help out. Yeah. A thing that I find very frustrating is when a giant company says... These people need help. And if you all give some of your money, you can fix it. Uh-huh. When they already have all You've of our money. You've got so much of my money. Like Use gave it, it. I gave it to you. Can, can, you said you'd do stuff with right? it. So, um, good job, Coke, but also, uh, like, fix it. Yeah. Fix it with your money. That I gave you. I read some other things um, wondering about whether Coke has plans to stop using plastic in the mm. near future. Mm-hmm. And they absolutely do not. <sighs> They have some plans at other bottling facilities to make a bottle where the cap is connected. Okay. I'm assuming like like a smart water situation. Yeah. Um, that way, when bottles are hopefully recycled, the caps won't be left behind. The whole thing will be recycled. That would be good. Um, but Coke says people like that they are lightweight and disposable and they can are and resealable. So they're going to stick with plastic. I I mean, I was forced to buy plastic today from where I work. Not forced. I could have walked in the snow to go get a get a can, but I didn't. But it's just I would prefer like. It's not that big of a difference. To have something that's more. Reusable, recyclable, better, sustainable. Yeah, like. That's and sad. I get resealable is so cool. For sure. I'm sure we can come up with some solutions for that. You guys came up with the cork topped bottle cap. Yeah. We can come up with anything. We, we can do it. If we want to. That's the thing. If we would like to spend money on it. Yes. So if you remember our friend Asa, mm-hmm. who was the first purchaser of the company in like 1919, he um, retires from the Coke of it all and gives all of his shares to his children who okay. sell their shares to like a big conglomerate of things. Mm-hmm. And then another guy, I think his name's Woodruff, becomes in charge of it. 
And from there, Coke is not like a family business anymore. They're just a business business. Yeah. Um, So it gets to be less cozy, in my opinion, and not as much fun to talk about. Yeah. Um, But the legacy that Asa started of this really like revolutionary advertising, this aggressive branding Mm -hmm. is so Coke. It's 100%. It's made them what they are. Absolutely. And that's incredible to me. Like the one person's method one idea they're like no this will work let's take it all the way and it's changed the face of the world Uh because coca-cola is maybe the most recognizable brand ever for sure no question i don't know that anything's more obviously something than coca-cola yeah so it's pretty cool it is (laughs) and i know the last thing you're all wondering about what's up with mcdonald's coke yeah what is going on there? What are they doing? Mad science with that Italian witch Santa lady. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Absolutely. So problem solved. Easy. Actually. Oh, dang it. <laughs> McDonald's gets the exact same formula as everybody else mm-hmm. um, for their concentrate. The only difference is instead of it coming in plastic bags and boxes. Did you have you ever had to do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. not a fun job. Oh, it's the to worst. To replace a soda. There's come in stainless steel canisters. Which makes it taste yummier and not like plastic. And Mm. that's why their Coke is so delicious. So a lot of people say they use like more of the syrup and stuff like that. They use pretty much the same as everybody else. It just comes in a different container. Yeah. It's just one of those sustainable containers Ah. making Coke more delicious. So you don't want it in the plastic bottles. Let's make this a movement. In the same way that my mom thinks that Coke in a glass bottle is like the epitome of sodas. Mm. Like that's just the best way to drink it. I can see it. Uh, I think the second best way to drink it, number one best way to drink it is the Mexican Coke formula in a glass bottle. Yeah. I don't know what that shit is, but it's good. It's good. It is true that different countries have different different things in their coke yeah the coke recipe isn't the same all over the world right um but i watched a tiktok of a of a lady in the uk and she thinks that they taste theirs tastes pretty much the same as ours okay and i'd heard people say differently so i don't know how many coke formulas there are but there's probably a decent handful of them mm-hmm. i think at the coca-cola f- store what mm-hmm. is it in las vegas i think it's a store it's like a store experience. Yeah. You can taste different Coke recipes. I did do that. They mm-hmm. are different. Did you like them? Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Are, is ours the sweetest? Oh, I can't remember. I think Mexican Coke might be sweeter. It might be, actually. But maybe that's just my opinion. Maybe it's just cane sugar and that's the difference. That could be the difference. I don't know. Shit's real. Um... <laughs> Coca-Cola, in case you're looking for a Coke, here's where you can always, always get one. Okay. Coke, this is funny. Coca-Cola's Coke is Walt Disney's Coke. (laughs) (laughs) Just like your tots are said, Taylor's tots. Oh my God. Coke sponsors and provides beverages exclusively to a lot of theme parks. All the Walt Disney parks and resorts, Merlin Entertainment, which is in the UK, I believe. Universal Parks and Resorts, Six Flags, Cedar Fair, and SeaWorld, which make up six of the nine largest park operations in the world. Wow. They're not there's a couple of the other ones where they're just not sure what kind of drinks they have there. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like CNN, it was Wikipedia. So give those people a break. They're doing their best. They're doing their best. And I got to get on there and donate money before the little box disappears. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Please never leave us. No. So I think 
like every other giant corporation, they have such potential for good Mm -hmm. that it's hard for me to evaluate them fairly and say that you're doing enough. Right. It's easy to be bitchy about it. For sure. Um, But in the in the case for the earth where plastics are concerned, you can do better than two million dollars to help the polar bears. Yes, you can. I feel like that's just factual, right? That's absolute facts. Because I know I'm paying more taxes than they are because mm-hmm. America. Yep. So I think they have a bit of, they could do a They're little bit more. Just a bit. A little bit. They did a really cool thing. Um, after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, there was like a, a dinner being thrown where people paid a lot of money for their plates, like mm-hmm. a fundraising dinner, and they hadn't sold any seats. Oh. And so the Coke people went to the Atlanta government people and they were like, we are a worldwide company and this looks yucky. So Atlanta needs to decide whether they need Coke because Coke doesn't need Atlanta. Oh my God. You need to make a choice. And it was like two hours later, every ticket was sold. They're like, please don't leave us. Oh my God. (laughs) So, I mean, that's, look at the kind of power that a a company can have to like change things for good. Yeah. Or to just be like, you know, the cool kid who you thought was going to be really negative, but he stands up and he's like, hey, be nice. And then everybody's nice. Yeah. Like that's a move that giant corporations can make. They have the clout for that. For sure. And so I I love seeing it. Mm -hmm. I like to see it all the time. Should happen more. Just throw that goodness around. Yes. We could use some. (laughs) We really could. (laughs) I can't think of very many things that are more Christmas to me than Coca-Cola and polar bears and Santa Claus. Right. I think all of those combined, it's that's that's it. Yeah. That's what it is. Every year for Christmas, I get my mom a six pack of Coke and in glass bottles and my dad a tin of almond roca. Mm. they're easy to please those people i like that they they like what they like yeah and i mean good choices all around truly (laughs) (laughs) now that i'm a grown-up i get my dad the almond roca from seas (gasps) because i'm i'm trying not to be a shitty kid (laughs) (laughs) that's a nice stuff (laughs) oh my god I'm happy for this time of year and for all the twinkle lights that we get to have. Me too. I hope that you guys um, are safe and and have warm shoes. And have the greatest holiday season to ever exist. Yeah. Enjoy this time while it's dark and the twinkle lights are on. Because after it's just January. It's just January. (laughs) No. Well, this was fun. (laughs) It was so great. Let's do this again sometime. Say hi to your mom for me. Bye.